to Navigate a Podcast, your deep dive into the stories that are shaping the future of food. I'm Food Navigator journalist Flora Southey, and today we'll be examining one of the hottest ingredients to infiltrate the food sector in recent times, CBD. People wanted to know um, what was it, where did it come from? The most common questions at the beginning were around, am I going to get high, those kind of things. Uh, And to be honest, those questions have moved along quite rapidly over the last few years where consumers have really got up the curve on what CBD is. And they're starting to ask more complex questions now about where it comes from, what the strength of it is, um, what are supply chains like, some ethical questions around it. CBD, or cannabidiol, is an active ingredient in cannabis, derived from the hemp plant. Although hemp extracts are thought by some to have been consumed for decades, it's only now that CBD is truly hitting the mainstream. Its wellness attributes are its biggest selling point. CBD has been linked to health benefits as diverse as gut health and anxiety reduction. And actually last year, the first CBD-based medicine for childhood epilepsy was approved in Europe. Whether people are taking CBD for pain relief, gut health, or as a little extra something in their block of chocolate, the CBD industry is undeniably on the rise. According to industry lobby group the Cannabis Trades Association, total sales of CBD and regulated medical cannabis reached £160 million in the UK last year, which is up from £110 million in 2018. In the food industry, A significant number of agile startups are also keen to explore the potential of CBD in their own products. But how are consumers reacting to the inclusion of CBD in food? What is the current state of regulation and how are businesses getting creative in masking what can be quite a bitter ingredient? On today's podcast, we have three startups who have at least one CBD product in their food or drink range. First up, I'd like to welcome Jenny Sims. She's the brand director of gourmet marshmallow brand, The Marshmallowist. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Jenny. Thanks very much for having me, Flora. We also have the founder of Botanic Lab on the line, Rebecca Hall. Botanic Lab is a functional beverage startup which sells one of its CBD products under the name Dutch Courage, which I love. Hi there, Rebecca. Hi, Flora. Great to be here. Thank you. And thirdly, on the line, we have Director of Jackpot Peanut Butter, Rupert Lee. Rupert, you've worked in clothing, peanut butter and CBD peanut butter, which I hope we get to hear about later on. So thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Flora. Um, Jenny, tell me, you have a gourmet marshmallow brand, but the initial idea, from what I understand, was not to create a gourmet CBD marshmallow brand. So what prompted you to bring in the CBD products? Um, Well, traditionally, we've worked um, with alcohol. So we first launched a blueberry and gin marshmallow in 2012. And since then, we've worked with different alcohol brands and we always look to the drinks industry for the trends in that area. We tend to find that it's the most progressive. So we've taken um, pairings that you traditionally see within cocktails and moved them into the confectionery market. And three years ago, we launched a Bloody Mary marshmallow, which was spiced tomato and vodka. So that was the area that we were really influenced by. And we saw that 
within the American drinks industry and the American market in LA in particular, there was a move towards CBD cocktails and they were growing in popularity. And that's when we started pairing um, CBD with different fruit flavors and launched a CBD marshmallow just as a limited edition flavor two years ago. We certainly didn't expect it at the time, to be quite honest, to have the success that, that it did. And we certainly didn't ever expect to bring it into our um, main range of products. Could you tell me a little bit about that success? Uh, what was the initial reaction from consumers? Our, our audience loved it. They wanted, um, we ended up, they ended up buying in bulk. We did a little bit of PR around it, but the PR that we did do um, really took off. And we went viral on certain occasions. I mean, we featured everywhere from the Sunday Times to the front cover of the New York Times. Uh, we were on ITVs this morning. We were in the sun. I mean, every key piece of press that you could have from a limited edition product, which we just thought would be, you know, something to to try and a bit of fun and an interesting direction for us, you know, really solidified itself within the market as being something that everybody wanted a, a piece of. Rebecca, you have a functional drinks company. At what point did you think about bringing in the CBD ingredient? Um, well, it's a very, it's actually a very similar process to Jenny in that, um, although we came at it from a sl- for a slightly different reason, Botanic Lab had always been interested in, in, in using and experimenting with functional plants and have become somewhat somewhat famous for, for doing a lots of firsts to markets like using charcoal in the, our drinks and using functional adaptogens, which are now much more commonplace in the market. And CBD increasingly, as Jenny said, was been used stateside as a functional plant ingredient in drinks. And I think one of the one of the key determinants for us of what we use in our drinks was does it have cultural heritage? Does it have genuine function and efficacy? And, and are, are our customers going to learn something from this? So it felt like an obvious obvious plant for us to use. And when we created the drink, it, it really did just take off in the consciousness of the consumer, which I think is a reflection of two things, both how much CBD has infiltrated the, the minds of consumers, but also the fact that our consumers could draw a line between our brand and CBD and understand what it meant to our brand. Because I think some of the challenges with CBD are that people don't necessarily understand enough about it and therefore are somewhat confused about it when it's quite an expensive product. So there was a there was a I think our, our customers were able to understand it better knowing knowing about our brand already and what it and what it stood for. Rupert, your experience in CBD is, is slightly different. You started off working in clothing before moving into peanut butter and then CBD peanut butter. Could you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, I guess, um, I, well, I worked in the music industry first and when Jackpot is, is steeped with uh, music culture in the brand. And oddly, I also skate and Jackpot was just a logo on a T-shirt of our skate brand. And there, somebody said, why don't you make peanut butter? Uh, because you have it all on those T-shirts. So we started making peanut butter and peanut butter flavours. And from there is when I launched Jackpot in 2016, I started looking into CBD as an ingredient and found that foods in high, uh, foods high in natural fats were a perfect carrier. Um, so it kind of felt that where Jackpot was positioned within culture, that CBD was an obvious uh, flavor for us to look um, into our R&D process and see if it worked, which it did. 
I wonder how your different consumers have reacted. I'm not sure if they would have all been familiar with CBD. Could you tell me, Rebecca, were they asking any questions when when the product first launched? Yeah, a huge, a huge amount of questions. Um, and I think mainly positive, and I was quite surprised by that. But the reason I wa- launched the product when I did is I felt that the sort of mainstream, what I always call the sort of Daily Mail opinion on cannabis and CBD had shifted quite considerably in the in the 12 months preceding when we launched this drink in 2018. And um, I think even though I was expecting it to be a positive response, I was quite surprised about how positive that was. And from across a really broad spectrum of individuals. So our our customer base was traditionally quite young, 20 to 35 year old urbanite consumers. Yet we were getting inquiries and calls from a really broad age range. Um, And part of that was due to some of the PR that we had around the product and it, it appeared on mainstream TV and in newspapers. But also I think it just really captured the interest, the functionality of it really captured the interest and people wanted to know um, what was it where did it come from the most common questions at the beginning were around am I going to get high those kind of things Uh, and to be honest those questions have moved along quite rapidly over the last few years where consumers have really got up the curve on what CBD is and they're starting to ask more complex questions now about where it comes from what the strength of it is um, what our supply chains like some ethical questions around it Um, so I think the the questions that have been asked they, they haven't decreased in volume, but they've certainly changed in terms of the type of questions that are being asked of us now. Yeah, I think we saw certainly on our side, we had a lot of our customers had a good grasp about CBD. They were quite knowledgeable about it, but this is ranging from anybody from the age of 16, 18 to 60, but they were still interested to understand what you're saying there is about what was the THC level. And for us, that was probably the prominent question that was being asked by, the, by our customers. Yeah, we've similarly, we've seen the demographic of our of our buyer shift and certainly we're seeing much um, older customers come to us as a way of uh, accessibly having CBD. You know, CBDs being a product that a people don't know how to use or it's very expensive. So our, ours is a way of, of trying it in, in a sort of a gourmet premium market but also in a way that's it's traditionally accessible for them through confectionery yeah i think it's about uh, trusted products like marshmallows and I, I guess peanut butter and drinks that people can actually understand how they're consuming uh, cbd which is helping i think some there are some products out there that seem a little strange that have cbd in there or what why is there cbd um, in that product so I think there's a, there's a bit of a journey for the consumer to go down with kind of what products they're going to they're gonna trust that have CBD in it. Jenny, would you say that the CBD product is, is still your most popular? I mean, it might have been two years ago that you first launched that first CBD marshmallow. Yes, undoubtedly. It's, it's our most popular. It's our best-selling product. Yeah. To that point, it's popular. It is a popular product. It was a popular product when we uh, were selling it. We've kind of been going through an R&D stage. We had a lot of repeat customers and customers engaging through education and educating themselves and interestingly what we knew about it. I think um, since there's had the uh, announcement that the um, from the Food Standards Agency that by, was it March 2021, everyone, everyone must have a novel food um, registration. I think people are starting to be a bit wary with certain products or brands that may not, who, who aren't working towards that. 
It's the same for us. I mean, it absolutely was our most popular product and still is. But having said that, the last 24 months have not been without challenge in terms of how you retail that product. Um, and therefore, it's not necessarily been the one that we've sold the most of. I think, as as you've just said, the, the changes to novel food regulation were challenging for the last 12 months. But now those have been clarified. Hopefully that provides a, mm. a kind of clear route forward to, to open up some of those doors that have been somewhat closed up until now from a retail perspective. That's that. really interesting. Oh, sorry. That's interesting, Rebecca. I think from a retail perspective, but I think from a consumer perspective. So our, it's our best selling product because essentially we sell direct to consumer yeah. through our website and mm. we we sell through Harvey Nichols, but obviously it's a premium store. Um, so the volumes are, are, are not anywhere as they would be um, selling through a you know a, a mass retailer or a, and it's certainly not an FMCG product. Mm. And I found that the novel foods regulation and certainly the press surrounding that has actually impacted slightly more negatively for us. Interesting. Um, I, I feel as though as a, as a lay person or a consumer that it's, it's, it's a confusing piece of legislation that mm. yes, the retailers may welcome because it gives them a sort of more more sort of rigorous uplifting standards but that's not filtered down to the consumer they don't understand what a novel foods classification means mm. and or, or see how it would bring about an uplifting standards and I don't know if that's the press reporting of it which it could be and certainly outside of specialist food media you know it's been quite speculative as all CBD products will be pulled from the shelves within a year mm. or they focused on certain elements of it such as it's not safe for women who are pregnant or breastfeeding and I, I have found that yeah that's it's, it's it's been a confusing couple of months actually even mm. though it was meant to bring about a clarification I actually find it's it's done the opposite. I'd, ag I'd agree with that Jenny actually and I think it's obviously it's a good reflection of of the different places that our brands sit in the market. I mean, your brand is is a very premium brand, and ours is a somewhat more mainstream brand. And I think it's all that's also a good reflection of the way the CBD market has started, where most of the brands entering the market are quite premium brands that, yeah. that more premium stores are, are prepared to retail, whereas we sit slightly more in in the mainstream in that. And I think I would agree with you totally that that the way that regulation has been dealt with has been. It's been confusing. I think it's been damaging to the industry. And I think that going forward, we can only hope that there is clarity that allows this industry to thrive as it as it should do. From, from my point of view, I think all we can do is do what the regulator tells us to and work within those restrictions and try and bring the industry, the retailers and the consumers along with us. So for those who, who don't know what regulation the speakers are talking about right now, in January of this year, the European Food Safety Authority, or EFSA, classified CBD as a novel food. So in the UK, this means that the CBD industry must submit a valid novel food authorization application uh, by the 31st of March 2021. And that's the deadline that's been set by the Food Standards Authority. Um, so I'd like to know, what does this mean for your individual businesses? Rupert, could you talk to us about your CBD product that, that isn't currently on the market? We have taken the product off, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, it was going through an R&D process uh, to understand exactly what we had. 
and we are now uh, complying with the, uh, or what we feel is how we should comply with the regulation by registering our product uh, for a novel food license registration. We've taken that decision because we feel that if we are, if we're compliant now, um, or starting to look compliant now in the future, it'll be a lot easier for us. Rebecca, what does this mean for Botanic Lab? Uh, for Botanic Lab, which I think is probably the same as, as for, for the other guys on here and, and for most brands, it means that supply chain and supply chain um, transparency and work becomes so much more important now. So we are much the, much the same as Jackpot. We, we work with a supplier that has actually submitted a novel food application. So we need to make sure not just that we're compliant by March 21, but that we do the right things now to be compliant in order that we can continue to grow our brand in the meantime. I think from, from our perspective, there's no point, whether, whether I agree with the designation of CBD or not as a novel food is, is somewhat irrelevant in that it, it has been now. And I think in order to grow the industry, we need to try and work with the regulator to come to a sensible place in terms of how this process is run over the next couple of years so that it becomes a moot point and that everyone can get comfortable that the safety work has been done um, and that these products should be should be retailed. So we're, we're doing everything that is required of us by the FSA in terms of um, making our supply chain robust. And I'm sure there will be a few more twists and turns over the course of the next um, 12 months that we'll have to follow as well. But I, I think one of the points I would make around that is, is really what Jenny was leaning towards, which is that the, the challenge beyond that is how this is then communicated to consumers, because the sort of sensationalism in the headlines that come out around these changes in in um, standards means that the consumers become very confused about what they actually mean, um, whether their product is safe or not, whether they should be buying this certain product or not. So there is some work that needs to be done from a consumer facing perspective to reassure consumers about which brands they should and shouldn't be buying from. Yeah, I completely, Rebecca. I mean, it just this works well for us because we've always used the best quality ingredients that you can buy and have robust supply chains and we use organic herbs. The CBD that we've used is organic. It's from an organic farm and we uh, were very clear on what the supply chain was on that and the transparency of that ingredient. So for brands like ours, this is a regulation which we can only welcome because we know that what we're doing is as good as it can be. And for me, it's it's just that I want to see exactly that. I want to see it communicated through to the consumer that what they're, you know, over and above the, you're a trusted brand, or as Rebecca said earlier on, you know, it made sense for us as a progressive brand within working with plants that this would be the next step, you know. But once we move into a wider market, you know, people are not coming to you with that knowledge of your brand. So there has to be a way of it being communicated very quickly. And I, I agree, you know, we're not going to sit here and debate the, you know, the pros and cons of a novel foods classification. But certainly, you know, it's up to us as, as progressive food brands to be able to very clearly get across that, that A, we're compliant and that the ethical standards of how our food is produced and how our drinks are produced mean a lot to us. And there has to be something, I think, beyond this. This is just the starting point, really. No, I agree. I think there's been a lot of people, sorry, there's been a lot of uh, people that I've spoken to at conferences um, or that you read in the press that they're reporting or what they report first is how much the category is going to be worth or is worth now and what it's going to be worth. And it's, it's, those, it's those brands or businesses 
who I'm wary of because they're just looking at the, uh, the bottom line, they're not looking about what what CBD is and what CBD can do, um, and also obviously goes through pro- uh, provenance and also. Um, are you are you working within the strict guidelines by the FSA and government? Um, and that th- they are they're, they're brands that worry me a little bit with this because, it, as you quite rightly said, it's a fledging industry, and we there is time. It's, there's time to get this right. I, th- I think this is also where where brand and brand story and brand development really comes into play. I've been mm. a big kind of proponent of saying there aren't really any brands in CBD at the moment. There's a lot of kind of yeah. white labelled repackaged goods on the shelves. And actually what, what brand means in a 21st century, consumers are smart. They, they, they resonate with brands and brands win their hearts and minds when they resonate with the story and it, it meets their values. And it's done in a very genuine way. And I think brands that have really worked hard on that with their consumers, and I think, you know, these are brands that have done that, will will start to shine out in this industry where they really can communicate well with their consumers, not just about what CBD is, but about their approach to it and about the about the efficacy of what they're doing and about the robustness of their supply chain. And it's not enough then just to stick a white label product on the shelf and expect people to buy it. So I think we're going to start to move into the age of real brand creation in the CBD space over the next few years yeah value-led products as well yeah yeah it, it was, it, as you said i think this is coming back to the brands that you trust mm. and i think there's there's been a, it's been quite a while maybe the last 10 20 years as a consumer that there's brands out there that i just haven't trusted recently mm. within that time scale because they've, they've they've been looking at they've been looking away from the consumer and what that means i think that what what we're all doing here is that we're understanding the consumer because it's, um, it's it's not just about bottom line. And so, Rupert, how are you communicating that trust? Like what what are you trying to communicate to your consumers? Is it about the quality of your CBD or its THC content? There is no THC. We are, we are not going down the THC content. We are looking at a product with our uh, new supplier about what what can what can that jackpot CBD product look like and taste like? I think there's more to there's more to CBD than just CBD, isn't there? There's, there's, we're looking further and beyond uh, with the hemp and the, the, just the whole product and what can we do with that? Do with that within packaging. Um, back to apparel, can we start using that as uh, hemp as, uh, as making that into t-shirts and sweatshirts? So there's there's more to it than just the CBD product. You mentioned taste there. That's an interesting one to bring in because, as you'd know, CBD has a has an interesting flavour. It's quite astringent. Um, some people describe it as bitter. And some manufacturers are wanting to mask that bitterness more than others. So, Rupert, could you explain Jackpot's approach to the taste of CBD and its benefits? Well, yeah, initially, we, well, we were working with our supplier, and their technicians and what we want to achieve with the amount of CBD and what was traceable within the product and wanting people to understand or the consumer to understand that there is CBD in our peanut butter uh, where we, we have put a, 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 an accessible premium price on it. Now, as Jackpot is a peanut butter brand that is pr- uh, prominent in our flavours where we launched a wasabi and a raspberry peanut butter this year that works within our peanut butter, within our flavor, flavor range rather. We're working uh, within our flavor wheel on what flavor's gonna help maybe mask a little bit, um, but maybe work with what the bitterness of 
CBD is, how it works and transcends into peanut butter, and then how that works within a, a flavor. And certainly within, and I think you've mentioned turmeric, uh, maybe turmeric and chili with CBD. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm, we are playing with that at the moment in our R&D stage. That's interesting. That sounds, that sounds lovely. Yeah, well, I, I think there's, there certainly is a lot of ingredients that can work with um, uh, peanut butter, as we've been working on, and then CBD. So, sorry, my point was there that we, 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 we found out that peanut butter um, is high in natural fat, which is a great carrier. Uh, for CBD, which means adding a flavour to it is uh, makes peanut butter a good uh, makes peanut butter a good product. It is that masking of um, of the CBD. Some consumers like it; others consumers kind of want it. It is a different flavour range. We've chosen to complement it rather than mask it. So, as soon as we tasted CBD. And I do understand your point, Flora, it can be quite bitter. Um, how we decided to pair it was with grapefruit, pink grapefruit, mm. um, which we felt sort of brought about that kind of um, citrusy punchiness that you could get from it. You, you might have described it as astringent, but we sort of, it's, it's bold. And then have a, a pink peppercorn as well. So it has a warmth to it, uh, similar to the to the chili aspect, I, I think, yeah. Rupert. So, so we've used um, pink peppercorns, grapefruit. Um, we find that that it complements the flavour. It doesn't mask the flavour because I think I think if you're going to try something, you really want to taste that true flavour. You want to know what CBD tastes like, um, and as as well as it having an effect, you want to you want to taste that. So that's the route that we we went down. Complement rather than rather than well, mask. I think we not none of us or have been used to the flavour of CBD. Yeah. It is it's it is a new flavour to our taste buds, and we are educating our taste buds around that. Um, I'm interested in how that the citrus um, of the grapefruit works in that. I can understand the peppercorns. That's a really neat idea. The citrus is really interesting. I mean, one one thing I would say is that that functional plants in general are quite challenging in terms of flavour. Um, so if you think about sort of different adaptogens like ginseng and others, they tend to have quite bitter tastes, um, which can be quite challenging, particularly in drinks, um, where the options that are available to you in traditional soft drinks are usually just masking with sugars and sweetness. Yeah. So, I mean, one, one of the things that we've seen over the last sort of five years is that that the taste buds of, of our customers really are moving on quite significantly. We don't create overly sweet drinks. We tend to keep the flavor of the functional plants in there or put them alongside other quite punchy flavors like turmeric and ginger um, and things like that. So we're sort of celebrating the, the oddity of these plants and the uniqueness of them. And, and CBD is no exception to that in that it has a, a unique flavor, as, as you said, that, that, that people don't necessarily, their taste buds aren't familiar with yet, but that doesn't mean that, that they can't get Get familiar with that and enjoy it for, yeah. for what it tastes like. For what it tastes like, it, it's, it's still early doors uh, within the uh, category and industry, um, and I, I think if we've got time to get it right, um, and I think also that is the enjoyment um, of working uh, with this particular product and the experimenting of uh, through R and D about what we can actually create. Yeah, cel celebrating the flavour. I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
Absolutely, Rupert. You, you three are really pioneers in the CBD food and drink space, and it does mean that that you're the ones that are dealing with these new challenges, whether it's in formulation or in getting your products to market. Rebecca, what kind of issues have you come across in selling the, the CBD product? Do you sell mostly online or do you have any um, products in store? I mean, in, in contrast to Jenny, our, our business is, is not not traditionally an online business. It's mainly a, um, a retail based business, which is obviously quite challenging during a during a lockdown period is, is incredibly challenging. Um, when we first launched the product, the the more innovative of, of the mainstream retailers were very, very keen to stock the product. However, when regulation changed, there was a definite drawback from, from mainstream retailers in, in, and a caution in, in what, what they wanted to do with this product, which has caused some challenges over the last 12 months. But that doesn't mean we haven't got the product into retail. There are, there are certain um, premium retailers who tend to be pioneers in these kind of things who, who stock our product. We also stock the product in over over 100 um, over 850 high street stores um, so increasingly we are seeing mainstream retailers start to engage in this and also hospitality um, outlets as well where alongside the trend for CBD there's an increasing trend for interesting no alcohol drinks so providing a soft drink with CBD is, is providing a really interesting route for on-trade and hospitality outlets to really give their customers something unique and interesting that is has not got alcohol in it. And, and CBD's really been a shining star in it in that area. So there are lots of there are lots of interesting avenues. It's not been an unfrustrate unfrustrated route to supply. And I hope that, that the clarifications in regulation will allow that to open up more significantly over the next 12 months. Yeah, I, I've spoken with a uh, one of the top multiple retailers, and one of their one of the points they said to us certainly was about the um, novel food registration. But they were looking for quality, the efficacy, the safety, and ensuring that the end consumers know that there's the appropriate amount in any of the products that we would supply to them. So I think whilst it is a challenge, but we must adhere to that. So, and again, the retailers are looking at this specifically, which means they are serious about stocking CBD products in the future. Jenny, you mentioned that you're stocked uh, in Harvey Nichols and you also sell direct to the consumer. Have you had any issues online selling via payment gateways at all? Yes, we had to, our, our website is hosted through Shopify. And we had to move our payment gateways away from Shopify's own platform and, and find a new provider. It's, it's been an issue that's been with us since we've launched, actually, and only resolved itself in the last 12 months. So it has been problematic. It's been time consuming. It's been costly. Um, I think we're there now, and it, but it's still not without its challenges. We still have a challenge with our... Our, our, our marketing as well um you know uh, traditional channels of online marketing would be you know facebook ads uh google shopping seo etc and and with they've all put up barriers um with cbd products again this will probably change and shift and it means that we've had to be slightly more dynamic about how we market and advertise our product but um, it's it has been it has been tricky. It certainly hasn't been an easy um, um, an easy sale for us. 
So do you, mean, do you mind if I jump in? There was no. a regulation. There was regulation that was changed, where it's predominantly coming from, is obviously the USA. There was a uh, regulation that was changed on the banking system, which meant that the investors and or venture capitalists, I think, generally, and also uh, traditional banks, were now able or are going to be able to um, take. Uh, money that has been generated by the sale of CBD and also of cannabis products. So now that was announced, I think it was December this year, last year rather. Um, so that will take some time to come into effect, but I think that will that will make some changes um, to the way that uh, you're able to sell products predominantly online, as we're discussing here. Yeah, I mean, we've we've experienced some some very similar problems to the ones that Jenny outlined in terms of yeah, you know, we had an existing on online business pre CBD, um, and and to be frank, I wasn't alive to the challenges of putting a CBD product on there and what it might do to our existing business in terms of our payment processor then refusing to transact for us, having to switch that over several times, and, and like Jenny, we're only just starting to resolve those issues now, um, and having traditional online marketing routes closed to us. And I think in some ways it's it's almost simpler to start a CBD brand from scratch than to morph a brand into a CBD brand. Um, yes, I would agree. That, <laughs> yeah, because I think you can sort of there there are lots of companies popping up now that that have specific experience in in developing CBD brands and the things that you would do from the beginning that you wouldn't necessarily have done in building your online presence um, for a non-CBD business. So it has been particularly challenging in that regard and still continues to be. And I think the banking industry as a whole has been incredibly slow to cotton on to this industry and to support this industry. You know, the the changes in the farm bill that we're just talking about haven't trickled through yet properly. Um, And even in terms of, I know a lot of CBD businesses have challenges just opening a bank account, which is ludicrous considering this is, you know, it's a legal industry, it's a regulated industry, it doesn't make any sense. So there's lots of, but but with challenges, there are lots of opportunities, both from a product perspective, but also from the ancillary services that surround the industry. Um, and there are lots of business start, businesses starting to pop up now that do support CBD businesses in a lot of these, these challenges that we're talking about. We certainly have covered a lot of the challenges today. I hope that uh, new and upcoming uh, startups won't be too put off entering the space. Do you have any advice for businesses wanting to incorporate CBD ingredients into their product range? Jenny? I just think the same that I would if I was to anyone really that was looking to, to launch a new food and drink company. I would say that, you know, the food and drink sector is enormous. And there are problems associated with it from food justice, poor agricultural wages, questionable industrial policies, environmental impact of a product. So if you were going to enter into it, just be good. Don't add to those problems. Um, Certainly the novel foods regulation means that having a robust supply chain is is certainly going to be at the forefront of most most people's minds. Um, But I would say it would be more than just the supply chain. I'd say it's more than just your, your sourcing of ingredients, um, but it's about your ethical practices as well, how you employ people, how, you're, how you behave as a company, sort of be more self-aware, source more ethically, pay better, be a good company. And I would probably say that to people launching a CBD product or any food product, quite frankly. I think there's a, there's a lot of responsibility with launching 
any kind of food brand, but particularly, as you say, with the CBD products. And where we are with, um, as we should have been for many years, but with uh, our environmental, social and governance, our ESG um, credentials for a business, I would suggest that anybody who is looking to start uh, or launch a brand should be looking at their ESG predominantly first, which, as you rightly said, is from supply chain to your, to your social ethics that when you're employing people and to also how you operate the business. I, I'd add to that by saying that I think the days of making a quick buck off of a poorly branded, poor quality product in CBD are probably gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that now is the time for CBD to move out of the vape shops and into the mainstream where quality products and well thought through brand propositions that consider what the consumer needs are going to win out over the next few years. Um, so I think I think there is no point now in entering this market um, just with a white label good that you're going to try and flog for the next six months because it really would be six months and the doors are going to close. Um, and also that's not great for our industry. And, and I think all of us would probably be in agreement in saying we, we don't want those kind of actors in our industry. But if you really do want to engage in a really interesting sector um, and have a passion for brand, this is an interesting space to be, but it's a very busy one. So I would think, think carefully before you start doing it. Well, some brands eyeing CBD as a potential ingredient in food may decide they'll hold off a little longer as the regulatory landscape continues to unfold. Very recently, the European Commission decided to postpone novel food applications of non-synthetic CBD products, while it determines whether to class non-synthetic CBD as a narcotic or a psychotropic. A spokesperson the Commission revealed to Food Navigator they were having doubts about extracts from hemp flowers. And for the moment, the preliminary analysis said it could not be qualified as a food. But that's not a final decision. If CBD is classified a narcotic, it cannot legally be considered a food and therefore cannot go through the EU novel food approval process. The fallout? Well, hundreds of CBD products would be unable to legally retail on the European market. With the UK leaving the EU, however, it can make up its own mind about CBD's classification. The UK's Food Standards Agency says it will be accepting novel food applications from January 2021 and that it does not consider CBD extracts to be narcotics. This adds yet another layer of uncertainty in the ever-changing CBD regulatory environment. As always, watch this space. You've been listening to the Food Navigator podcast. I'm Flora Salvi. Join us next time when we'll be asking the question, is there a sustainable future for animal proteins?